today on TLA Pakistan Innovation Hub series. There's a lot that has been done by the way, so once this was focused, and it's happened more in times of crisis. So I can tell you, you know, one of the major reasons is small, medium, but SMEs as well, the MSMEs is what I call them. Yeah. not were not able to grow is because of their lack of accessibility to banking and financial services. Yeah. But for growth for business, it's business, right? We need capital, financing, we need a lot of advisory services. Hello everyone, hope you all are doing great. Welcome to another episode of TLA Pakistan Innovation Hub series. In this episode, we are talking to a banking and finance veteran. He has an amazing professional journey of over four decades, of which more than half has been with World Bank Group. He has established financial institutions in several countries, including Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan and Pakistan. He is a member of multiple international platforms of fintech and global development and served as a board of director for several international companies. Today, he is here with us to share his insightful views on MSMEs, development banking and fintech. So let's welcome Kaiser Naseem. Hi Kaiser, how are you doing? Hello, I'm good. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm also fine. Uh, what about this COVID-19 thing? How are you coping this whole scenario? Well, look, uh, I mean, everyone is in it. And it's what the fourth, we're into actually the fifth month now. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually uh, at this point in time in Dubai. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've been locked in. It's more than 10 weeks, I would say now. I, I remember March 8th, I had gone to uh, an event which was International Women's Day actually. Mm -hmm. and that was my last time I ventured out. And then I've been at home. Yeah. We're coping as best as we can. I mean, uh, surprisingly, I mean, everyone has, uh, you know, they cope differently. But surprisingly, I don't know, given uh, the nature of my work perhaps, mm -hmm. that I have sort of quite easily gone into this work from home mode. Mm -hmm. uh, and. Uh, Digital, I mean, that's always, that's what we've been doing in the last five, six years, so e-commerce or banking or whatever. So, I mean, I've eased into this situation, but it's obviously not a good situation to be in from the point of view of the economy generally around you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, probably we'll talk more about that uh, as we go along. Mm -hmm. But now, yeah, it's stay at home. I'm not really venturing to go out and ease the restrictions of waiting to buy. But still, it's wait and see. Because uh, I think, like I also mentioned in one of my articles, I don't know uh, if you've read that, but basically this uh, opening up or easing of restrictions are based more on economic uh, reasons than on health or safety reasons. I think each one of us has to make their own, use their own judgment. Yeah, 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 right. So, Kesar, you have dedicated uh, almost almost uh, most of your life to banking and finance. You have a four decades of experience and I think you're still going on. So, I would really like to talk about your professional journey. When did you realize that you really want to do something in finance and how this whole professional journey of yours carved up? How did you get into World Bank and then afterwards and afterwards? So, how does it all? 
Okay, so good question. It carved out because when I was an engineer, <laughs> I don't think you got that much. I, was, I actually yeah. graduated, I yeah. had a master's in metallurgical engineering. Mm -hmm. uh, a very interesting place. So it's a big shift from metallurgy to finance. Yeah. Yeah. So I worked in that field for five years. Yeah. Uh, and I was a good engineer, by the way. We did a lot of good work. And this was with the steel mills in, in Pakistan in Karachi. Uh, after you know graduating, it was a seven-year program, bachelor's, and then a master's. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we worked for five years. But somehow, I had always wanted to work in uh, you know in a field which had to do with the economy, with had to, which had to do with finance. I think a major reason for that was my father was an economist. He worked for the United Nations for many years, and mm -hmm. my brother was a banker. He'd been in right. different banks, so probably. Watching them, you know, the way they dressed up and went to work as against a metallurgical engineer, rather than yeah. not just an engineer. And I was a real engineer, so I had like grease on my face and I had these overalls and I remember that. But it wasn't because of those reasons. I just wanted to get into um, an area where I could work in finance, economics, and mostly in the development part of, uh, of finance. And I got my opportunity, so I started my career in 79. Long, long time ago. Yeah. And <laughs> I got this opportunity to go for an MBA after my engineering. Mm -hmm. And this is the early 80s when MBA was very rare. Yeah, it was very rare thing. And getting an MBA and uh, uh, a combination of MBA and engineering was a big, big deal in those days. Mm. So anyway, I got off. I went for an MBA. I got my MBA. And before I could come back, went on leave from the steel mill, by the way. Mm -hmm. Before I could rejoin, I had an offer by. At that time, that was the largest development finance institution in Pakistan. That's where I started my career. Mm -hmm. It was called the National Development Finance Corporation. And this is now 1984. So having worked about four or five years as an engineer, and now equipped with uh, an engineering degree and, a, and an MBA, I was offered a job with this big uh, financial institution. Yeah. It was actually responsible for the for a lot of industrial development that has happened in Pakistan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with these development finance institutions. There used to be a lot of them in the late, actually even the whole of 70s, you know, before yeah. my time, all of 80s and the whole of 90s. And their objective or their uh, uh, goal was to develop the industrial sector, the services sector in Pakistan. Mm -hmm. They used to channel um, all this aid that we used to get, this financial assistance from the likes of the World Bank, the Asian Development Bank. So it was rooted through development finance institutions, and I was part of that. Mm -hmm. A lot of these uh, cement companies and textiles and uh, sugar mills, which are mm -hmm. you know controversial these days, mm -hmm. had bought lines of credit or uh, financial assistance from development finance institutions. And a lot of this industrialization happened because of these development finance institutions. Hmm. There were several of them. The largest was NDFC, but there were a few others as well. Hmm. Uh, but again, I mean, get into a different uh, story that they weren't run properly. So, you know, as long as they lasted, they were doing a good job. But for the longer run, they sort of were not able to sustain because of I mean, familiar words in Pakistan. Unfortunately, people at your age still have to listen to it. Corruption, mismanagement. Yeah. Government interference that continues. So these institutions are no longer there anymore. Mm -hmm. Hence, our industrial development again will get into a different uh, topic. But the pace of industrial development in Pakistan after these DFIs, development finance institutions, mm -hmm. uh, were finished off, 
was slow. It was very slow. So we've not seen great projects come in over the last decade. I mean, since probably you've been, yeah. uh, you know, in, on the scene professionally. Mm-hmm. So that's where I started my banking and finance career. And again, I keep emphasizing it's development finance. It's a little different yeah. Yeah. corporate bank, although it encompasses all this because we work with other banks. Yeah. And when you're in a development finance institution in any country, mm-hmm. so when you're looking at your career growth and your career path, so your career path gives you to multilateral development institutions out of your out of Pakistan, which is a bigger scale. You have Asian Development Bank, you have the Islamic Development Bank, you have the African Development Bank, and on top of this, you have the World Bank. So yeah. professionals who work in these, their aspiration or their Goal if they were looking at career progression is to get into one of these institutions. That was how I got into one of these institutions. Mm-hmm. It's not easy, it's very competitive, you've got to bear time, so it's hard to apply and get in. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, but over a period of time, if you persevere. And actually, that opened up a lot of uh, opportunities in terms mm-hmm. of the, the contributions mm-hmm. one could make to have an impact on the economic development of countries globally. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky to start my journey at this international level mm-hmm. in a region which was just emerging. Mm-hmm. It was actually the Central Asian region and the Soviet Union, if you remember, had broken up in the early 90s. So I started this journey in 92. Mm-hmm. And 15 countries suddenly became members of the World Bank. In '92, and they spoke a language which no one knew, which was Russian. <laughs> I spoke Russian. By the way. One of the reasons I got also in is because you know language. So many things help you in your career. Yeah. Things sometimes you think are not going to help you. Mm. And you like Russian language. Once I graduated, I didn't speak it for a decade. No one spoke it around the world. You know, in the '90s, no one spoke Russian. They spoke English. Yeah. Uh, Russian was very rare because. Mm-hmm. So much, you know, yeah, the history of the Soviet Union was a close, uh, you know, was a close country. And here I knew a language, Russian, no one spoke. And suddenly, it was in great demand in 92. Mm. So I started working in this region, uh, which was totally barren in terms of their integration with mm. the world economy. So that is what I did over a period of time. I was in school. And then, of course, in many other countries in the world. But the first commercial bank, for example, in Central Asia. Uh, the first leasing company in Central Asia, the first uh, uh, you know uh, bank in Kyrgyzstan and Uzbekistan. Yeah, I was part of all this. I was yeah. instrumental in establishing them, and this actually gives you you know this sense of uh, fulfillment, if you may, that mm-hmm. you have contributed. Even today, when I go back to these countries, I still work on these countries. Yeah, uh, and the people who I worked with in the 90s, obviously some of them the ministers and all who were older have retired, but they still remember them. When I walk into, let's say, a bank, and I say, oh, this bank I used to work with, I was on the board also. <laughs> the guy used to go back and look at the minutes of 93, 94, 95. Yeah. Yes, yes. You contributed to the board. So this is what is, uh, this is how I got into this field. Uh, yeah. It's an interesting field. And uh, the first institutions we built in countries which are emerging, like the ones I just mentioned, are financial institutions. Yes. The so financial institutions are the conduit which then channel financing and other services mm. to the right sector of the economy for growth. Right. That's, right. that's the 
Yeah, that's really an inspirational journey. I have also going through your profile and I just find it out that you have worked in Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, and you have worked towards establishing a financial institution, which is a very, very integral part of thing. So um, you have experience working with uh, uh, micro, small and medium enterprises. And you are also part of development of one of the SME banks in Pakistan as well. I would really like to talk about something about these micro, small and medium enterprises because uh, somehow when I was working uh, in NGOs, in different NGOs in Pakistan, I just realized that they are actually the backbone of our economy, of Pakistan's major economy. And But due to lack of investment, guidance and proper training, they are lacking behind. And then when I come to UK, I realize and I have seen the same things as well over here. So what exactly we should do to you know, develop this sector? Because this sector contributes uh, sufficiently enough into the economies uh, across the globe. So what are your, what is your take on that? Look, uh, I mean, you've rightly pointed out backbone of the economy. Yeah. Two decades ago, we used to call the engine of economic growth. I mean, these were the buzzwords. And yeah. These SMEs, micro, small, medium enterprises have always been in all the countries of the world. Yeah. But the focus on them actually started about, I would say, 20 years ago, mm -hmm. two decades ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the real and then, you know, the real impetus to that focus started perhaps 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. when, uh, and 15 years ago, or yeah, about 15 years ago, when we had this 2008 economic crisis. I'll mm -hmm. tell you the reason for that. But before that, I would also like to state, say, state and say, and especially, you know, to youngsters like yourself, and I think mm -hmm. a lot of our audience would be, mm -hmm. that they should now understand that these small businesses are I mean, we in our age discovered mm -hmm. along the way that, wow, okay, the small business seems to be contributing a lot. Now it's a fact. So don't try to learn this. It is there. It's a fact. So just know it is something you, mm -hmm. as young people, when you embark on your various journeys, professional mm -hmm. or entrepreneurship or whatever, uh, you should have this in mind that it is the small businesses which you will help mm -hmm. set up as entrepreneurs which are going to run the business. Mm -hmm. It was not the focus 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Right. So because of uh, the way these big corporations and talk about that also a little later. So what has, there's a lot that has been done, by the way. So once this was focused, and mm -hmm. it's happened more in times of crisis. So I can tell you, you know, one of the major reasons these small, medium, and with SMEs, let's call them MSMEs is what I call them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did not were not able to grow is because of their lack of accessibility to banking and financial services. Yeah. Because for growth of business, it's business, right? You need capital financing, you need a lot of advisory services, as you mentioned rightly, we talked about that also. But these companies did not have access to those till 2008 happened. And I witnessed to that because, you know, we in the World Bank group, our target, you know, our objective is poverty alleviation, right? We want an employment generation. And yeah. the way we strategize that that could be done was through helping small businesses. Because small businesses cater to employment, they generate employment. So across the board, all countries of the world, anywhere between 60 to 90% of 
environment is generated by SMEs, mm-hmm. anywhere between 30 to against 75-80% of GDP is contributed mm-hmm. by these. The best way to add value to an economy is to focus on these small businesses. They generate employment, they give people employment, people work, they add value to your raw materials, they add value to services and contribute to GDP. We've always focused on that. Mm-hmm. And the way we focused on it, and you know, because SMEs, there are millions of SMEs around the world, right? I think just in Pakistan, there's equal to a million SMEs. Yeah. So you can't target each one of them. So then you leverage institutions. So then we get into leveraging, which is an important lesson also for you know, young people, for everyone to learn mm-hmm. that on your own, you cannot make an impact. You can make an impact, a smaller impact. But for a bigger impact, you need to leverage other institutions, other institutions. So at the World Bank Group, we leverage financial institutions to reach out to us. Mm-hmm. Financial institution means big banks, big leasing companies, you know, investment banks. And when you knock at their door in 2005, in 2006, in 2007, they really weren't bothered with this sector at all. Because they have these big corporates who they could lend $100 million, $50 million, and they had done their KPIs in you know, five or ten yeah. projects. So, mm-hmm. so that, was, that was the mindset. And, mm-hmm. and we come to that also. Mm-hmm. Yes. Come 2008, and we've, I've witnessed it. The reason I say that is because we were promoting banks to build a capability to lend to SMEs, to expand their reach to the SME sector. Banks were not interested. Okay. After the financial crisis, it was the other way around. I was—I remember very clearly. I was based in Cairo at that time in the Middle okay. East. Mm-hmm. I started getting calls from banks who we had visited, and they said, "Look, you had come and you know spoken about uh, SMEs six mm-hmm. months ago, or a year ago, depending on which bank. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you said that that's a lucrative, uh, you know, a, a sector where banks can have additional revenue. We're interested now." Mm-hmm. And the reason they were interested is because these big companies had dried up, you know, this project yeah. finance profits had dried up. And yeah. also a lot of other things that happened, the margins had decreased because a lot of funds had come up which were also targeting the same project. So mm-hmm. banks really didn't have the opportunity uh, or the same deal flow in the large. So they said, let's explore. Mm-hmm. Between 2008 and the decade that followed, we worked with a lot of banks, including in Pakistan. I would name them now. They're, I think almost all the big banks we work with create mm-hmm. a capability to provide financial services and banking services. Mm-hmm. A lot of these banks are not doing that. Mm-hmm. Now, the gap is coming back to the advisory services, uh, and we'll bring that into the COVID 19 also. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's deep into this part, and it's because of what we didn't do that we are now in, in, in this fix. But what we didn't do, some banks did is, I don't know if I said it to you or said it in another uh, call earlier this morning, mm-hmm. the easiest thing to do or the easiest thing to address a problem is to throw money at. It's very easy, especially if you have the money. If you have taxpayers' money, government mm-hmm. of Pakistan for example, has taxpayers' right. money, they can throw it at a problem. World Bank does that, the IMF does it actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not just countries, all countries of the world, but that's what they know how to do, what to do. And it's the easiest mm-hmm. thing to do. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the KPIs of financial institutions, more or less, they're changing now. But earlier, it was how much have you been able to disperse? How mm-hmm. much has this guy from IMF been able to negotiate with Pakistan? Mm-hmm. Oh, he's giving them $5 billion. So that was the target. The guy is happy. 
But the thing is, and I have been propagating this or advocating this for many, many years now because I have been a development banker, yeah. is that for us as development bankers, we also need to ensure that this money that we have thrown at an SME, since we just mm -hmm. talked about SME, that mm -hmm. reports to corporates, is being used by them properly. Oh, and nice. not, mm. not only being used, but do they have the ability to use it properly? Ability to use so it. Large corporations probably have the ability also, but perhaps they don't want to. And then they go and buy the, mm. you know, the first thing. I also worked in the monitoring department of this institution mm. in Pakistan. First thing we used to go and we lent, we gave a loan to the cement company, for example, mm -hmm. is the big office. When you enter, they are the curious office, they are these big cars. So that's <laughs> where your loan goes in the first instance, not on equipment and machinery. So that, yeah. but in case of SMEs, they actually don't even know where to use that money. Yeah, uh, true. So, so you need to give them advisory services. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, so basically that is still an issue. Mm -hmm. There have been a lot of efforts. So in Pakistan, since uh, you know, we, we, well, we're not just focusing on Pakistan, but since the, you belong to Pakistan, I belong to Pakistan, mm -hmm. we set up an institution called the SME Development Authority. I was on yeah. their board when it was first set up back in early 2000 and late 90s. Mm -hmm. And that was exactly the purpose. I myself was instrumental in setting up the first SME bank. Yeah. Set that up in the 2000s. Uh, and uh, landed as the, the first president and CEO in 2003. Unfortunately, it was in the government sector. I tried to, you know, I also got some um, uh, investors. So to privatize it, that was the objective. Actually. That's why I had come. I was on leave from the World Bank Group, actually, set it up. Uh, and, but that didn't happen. The government said, no, no, we'll keep it. You know, it's the government. I actually left. And the institution, as we all know, uh, didn't really go far from here. But, Things were being put in place to provide advisory services and to provide financial services and help mm -hmm. But unfortunately, it did not happen. I mean, the the way these, this could have been done or should have been done did not happen. Uh, yeah. Sometimes, you know, the money actually didn't even reach the SME. Sometimes the right type of advisory services were not available. Mm -hmm. What is needed going forward, forget this is all history, even today now. Uh, but before I come to that today, what is needed for SMEs to make sure that they're able to develop is they need to be provided both financial and banking services. It's not just money, it's both financial and banking services, and their ability to use that, use that in the way their plant is laid out, if it's a manufacturing, in the way they use that capital, is it for working capital, is it for startup capital, is it for the employee salaries, and the way they actually are able to plan their cash flow, so they need to get some training on managing their accounts, managing their staff, their HR, all this comes in. Yeah. Uh, okay, let me tell you a story which was one of my favorites. You know, there's a lot of responsibility <laughs> in this government. And yeah. my favorite story when I was setting up the SME bank, and you know, we used to go out and articulate why. You know what I'm doing today? We articulated in 2000 why SMEs are important. What part of the economy do they control or they have uh, mm. a These were things happening in 2000. If you go back and read the newspapers, it was all about SMEs and SMEs and SMEs, why they're important and what needs to be done. So the government's responsibility was that, let's say, and this is my favorite example because it's for all audiences globally. Mm -hmm. FIFA football, as we all know now, is made in Pakistan. Yeah. 
And the value chain of that is, it's not just this one big sports company, but there are hundreds of women who work in their little home, in the little rooms yes. in their homes, actually, stitching yeah. the football, cutting the leather, and, and I visited all of them. Mm -hmm. And then, and you know, these, the manufacturers are happy with doing, I'm just giving you an example, one football a day. The mm -hmm. reason they're happy is because they have a family of four, they get $10 a day by making one football, they're happy, they're not interested in doing more, and their mm -hmm. kids are going to school. So the government needs to tell them that, look, you have the skills. Why don't you make four footballs? And the yeah. reason the government is interested is because mm -hmm. the government can export four footballs instead of mm -hmm. one and get more revenue for an exchange. Yeah. But we are always you know, short of in Pakistan mm -hmm. for an exchange. So yeah. exports. So these guys have the skills. No one sitting in the government has the skills to make a football. Right. The guy is happy with making one. So someone has to go and tell him. Someone has hey, to you make, Can you make two footballs? Because we in the government of Pakistan want to get not $10, but $20 of revenue. Yes. These things have to happen. But I don't know if they happen or not. But these type of interventions, if you may, mm -hmm. in, in, in the SME sector. Again, we need to recognize these are the entrepreneurs. They have the skills. They're making the surgical instruments. They're making the, you know, the, mm -hmm. the chemicals. They're making the footballs. They're making the right. hockey sports. So they have the skills. Mm -hmm. How do we encourage them to? Be more productive. Yeah. Especially if they're adding 50% to your GDP. Especially. So these things are lacking. So they're being built up. I mean, I think they still need to be fine. You know, they're much better than they were 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. But here we are. Yeah. But if you allow me, I mean, I'm sure you have that question. But let me just relate it now to COVID. That because right. of this lack of infrastructure, mm -hmm. we all know now mm -hmm. that globally, governments and central banks have allocated, I think it goes into trillions of dollars globally yeah. of money as relief packages to small businesses. To small businesses. Part of that is small businesses. Mm -hmm. businesses. I mean, like, like the US is $250 yeah. billion dollars yeah. for small mm -hmm. businesses. I think here it's $7 billion or $17 billion mm -hmm. in the UAE. Mm -hmm. So this money, again, the easy part, that you have this money. They've done it through various ways. They've actually given cash. They've actually asked banks to lower the reserve requirements so they have more mm -hmm. cushions now available to go and lend out. So all this has so this money is available. The sad part is that no one looked at will the SMEs be able to use this money? Use this money. That means I've been saying this for more than a month now, mm. and now it is happening. Yeah. It's happening not in emerging markets, happening in the US, that more than I think almost all of the smaller small businesses have not been able to access that money in the US. Mm -hmm. and the same in the UAE and same in North countries. And the reason for that is because they have no idea how they can access. Open has told them. Yes. Yes. We and I have a better example of mine that, you know, this is real example. Banks have said, look, you came in, you told us to, you know, develop an SME department. We mm -hmm. train people, we have good processes now. Mm -hmm. We are willing to lend to SMEs, but no SMEs are coming. Mm -hmm. yeah. I said, have you told them that you are available? Have you told them? Have you told them? They said, no. <laughs> this big bank who never yeah. spoke to the, you know, yeah. a year ago is now happy to lend to them. So yeah. you got to tell them. So all these, these relief packages are available. And I know that because a lot of SMEs have been reaching out on LinkedIn, on my phone, on email, that 
Do you know what package is available in Malaysia, for example, in uh, Iraq, for example? Even in UK, small businesses doesn't know that where no, is no. the three trillion dollar is uh, is being kept and how they can access it. They are all going mad about it. So the reason for that is twofold. I mean, again, we're in the technology, so keep that in the back of your mind. Yet we have this problem. So all these relief packages, this money, I mean, the conduits for them are the banks. Yeah. The banks historically have this legacy of being unable to reach out to smaller businesses. They're just not able to do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of countries. The API is that the banks, a lot of banks have said, we've already dished out 80% of this. We're very happy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But now none of the small businesses have got it. It's the, the bigger small businesses, the SMEs, the M, the higher M, even not the M, but the higher M who got it. And because that's easy fruit, they already have perhaps a banking relationship with the bank. The bank knows them, so it's easy for them. But the ones who are suffering are the startups, are the scale-ups, are the smaller yeah. businesses. Yes. So that's one. The other is the small business does not know which of these packages do they need. So do they yes. need to go and ask for the needs to pay their employees? Mm -hmm. Do they need to go and ask for money for working capital? Do mm -hmm. they need to go and ask for money so we can pay their rent? Mm -hmm. Do they need to go to the bank and say, can you roll over our debt? So what do they need? So for that, someone has to advise them. And something I've been doing actually is mm -hmm. thing, look at the cash flow. Right. Is there a receivable that has to come to you? Mm -hmm. Is there an export order or a local order that you were supposed to manufacture you're not able to deliver because mm -hmm. Is there a chance that your revenues are going to dry up from this source? Can you pivot and start something else? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. a lot of these chemical small businesses, these supply chain, those small businesses who are in the supply chain of the likes of Nestle or mm -hmm. uh, you know Procter and Gamble. So they pivoted from making just uh, yes, soap to making hand sanitizer, for example. Any company which had something with an alcohol in it, you have to pivot, but someone has to tell you. Someone has to Garment tell you. Yeah. Garment factories have pivoted into making masks, for example. Yeah. They need money for them. So this is what is happening, unfortunately. In this. We're still in that loop. Hmm. And I spoke about technology that we now have these platforms banks to easily leverage, to quickly reach out to SMEs. Why don't banks reach out to them? It's because they have, they do not have the ability to it's, They're scared that mm -hmm. this small business, we have no information. We have all the information yeah. from various data sources, but the banks are not using it. You mm -hmm. have this platform. So in the in uh, the US, I mean, because that's a big country, unfortunately, mm -hmm. I don't know how the leadership is lacking. But SBA, the banks did not reach out to these platforms. Platforms have only now started coming when the banks were unable to reach out to SMEs. They started also on a small scale, but they have to work in tandem. You know, these platforms don't have the number of clients, and the banks don't have the data which the platform the ability to analyze the data. They have to work in tandem. So this has to happen. If yeah. the COVID relief packages also have to be dispersed to the right type of SMEs at the right time. Already too late in my opinion, but yeah. 
That that's a very comprehensive answer, Kesar. I I just really uh, like it that the, the way you have explained it. Uh, it. This comes to a very important question that I have in mind. Uh, we in Pakistan are struggling with our startup culture, actually. So uh, if we compare ourselves from India, India is so much far ahead than us. Uh, they have already got their unicorns and they are not, unicorns are not all, um, uh, or, uh, uh, operating in India only. They are also operating worldwide as well. Uh, but there are some very important issues that come with our startup. And one of them is just that you have pointed out is they do not know how to use the money they are getting. And plus, in the first place, uh, first place, they do not know how to ask for the investment and even how much to ask. This is a very, very critical issue because I have been working with startups for about like two years in Pakistan, and they all are they all are very nice kids. Uh, they are confident also, but they are very much specific to their skills only. They have no clue about how to do money, how to do money management, or how to ask for money. So do you have any advice or any top tips for these startups um, that uh, how to ask for investment, how to validate their startup, and how to you know, have their valuation done? Look, let me just start by saying that the startup culture in Pakistan is not lacking because we don't have the entrepreneurial spirit. We don't have enough good ideas. I think there's plenty of those. Yeah. And unfortunately, we then come back to the ecosystem mm -hmm. and do our image uh, on a global stage. Yeah. Uh, I do a lot of mentoring as well. Like you mentioned, we do it uh, for a lot of startups. Mm -hmm. uh, my focus is obviously on the financial sector for fintechs. Mm -hmm. A lot of fintechs. By default, I also get into getting back and fintechs and mostly on fintechs. And I've been to numerous conferences globally, and you know I've always said it to uh, uh, Pakistani, you know, those who I mentor or those who run incubators that I've not really run across a Pakistani fintech. I've attended fintech across the globe. Yeah. Uh, and you, your neighbor, I mean, you always like to talk about India. But, yeah, they have a lot of them yeah. all over the world. They're, you know, they are all over the world, true. Kenya, Kyrgyzstan, I mean, a small country of people, uh, but Pakistan has not. I think it's uh, an image issue. We probably now uh, over with, uh, and we have very bright minds because I interact with a lot of entrepreneurs over there. Uh, and then we have uh, unicorns in Silicon Valley, right? And I don't know if you've heard of this big conference I attended it in Islamabad. Uh, but I think last year we had these five companies out of Silicon Valley, all Pakistani, mm -hmm. all of them unicorns. And, you know, I think that in Pakistan we were able to build that. Now, having said all that, uh, you know, now you do have these incubators. Uh, you have the NIC, you have other incubators coming up, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in Pakistan uh, for uh, these youngsters to get advice. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my my take on that is that policies, number one, I mean, this encouragement uh, on a national scale in terms of, uh, you know, youth coming right out of the university. Again, like I said, there are a lot of incubators, so all of them are being incubated. But in terms of funding, in terms of uh, being able to attract an investor from outside, so that is a Pakistan-specific image issue. The same person, the same person sitting in Silicon Valley from Pakistan mm -hmm. uh, would be able to attract uh, funding, right, for that same type of project. And in Pakistan, mm -hmm. you don't have to do that. So 
I think that's one thing which has to be overcome. And I think now we have uh, people in place from what I've been reading in an ecosystem. So my advice actually is to, uh, you know, the young entrepreneurs, a lot of them speak, uh, a lot of them speak to me as well uh, with their ideas is to continue exploring. I mean, you know, they've got to reach out. A lot of them do reach out, by the way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's again an image of Pakistan. And I think that's the first thing which needs to be broken. Uh, okay. that, you know, if you're, uh, if you're a tech company out of Pakistan, although it's a big market, it's a market of what, 120 million, mm -hmm. um, you know, so the, the scale that you can get in e-commerce, for example, and that's why I think uh, you have already jumping in there. Mm -hmm. uh, and you have, whatever uh, the names, I mean, these, these companies which have investments coming in for them, but they're far, few and far between. We need more. We want a lot of uh, talent. I mean, mm -hmm. I've seen these chances coming up. Uh, so my advice is to put the head down and continue doing what they are. Uh, and, you know, uh, reach out to international investors. Reach out. Maybe this right now is obviously not the right time, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Yeah, but keep these liaisons with, uh, you know, with these big funds. Uh, we have a few now in Pakistan itself. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, stay focused on what, what it is. But, you know, just make sure because unlike five years ago, six years, six years ago, that you had very few of these uh, innovations coming up and these startups coming up. And then not in, uh, in payments, you have money in... Uh, uh, especially in payments. So focus on an area which are pain points. And there are a lot of these areas in, uh, in the financial sector, for example, like I belong mm -hmm. to the financial sector, where I can speak to that more. Uh, so, so fintechs, for example, uh, you know, how do you onboard a client? How do you uh, make sure uh, that your risk assessment is mm -hmm. appropriate? So these type of uh, uh, fintechs are required right now. Mm -hmm. Focus on that more than uh, you know payments or uh, remittances. Uh, I don't think that would be. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of competition in that. Mm -hmm. So just try and look at the ecosystem. What is happening uh, going forward? We see we can see that there's going to be a lot of e-commerce. Right? Yeah. Uh, we have the likes of Alibaba. I think we've already entered uh, entered Pakistan. But, you know, on a smaller scale, uh, these are uh, areas uh, deliveries, for example. Uh, again, it's part of e-commerce. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, there's going to be less of air travel. There's going to be more mm -hmm. platforms like uh, the one we're using right now, uh, you know, uh, Zoom or others uh, for uh, remote meetings. Mm -hmm. so, you know, focus on what is needed, uh, and I think that would be would be the ones that needs to be scaled up. Uh, the ecosystem is still developing in Pakistan, yeah. obviously, uh, and we hope that. These uh, new uh, initiatives the government supposedly is taking. I mean, it's obviously taking longer than it should. I mean, these are things that should have been done. Um, you have to develop the ecosystem. You can't just have a startup and you don't have the really supportive ecosystem in place. So it has to be holistic in that respect. So that has to be built up. Uh, so my advice is you know, for these young uh, entrepreneurs who are building, um, you know, in um, platforms or want to uh, get into e-commerce, want to get into index, want to get into health tech. Uh, first of all, learning that, you know, this should never stop. We should keep it yeah. 
Why and reach out to as many of these local funds again? Maybe not right time, but then this this takes charge a lot, and uh, it's easy to do now. I mean, online uh, you can reach out to them. Uh, I remember these uh, five uh, you know, platforms which had come out for this conference in Islamabad in October are out of Silicon Valley. We should reach out to Pakistani diaspora and see how those they can help them to scale. Uh, and then secondly, they don't really need to stick on the Pakistani is a 1 million, 20 million market, but they don't have to stick to Pakistan. Peace in you know in Gulf area, if they have the right uh, uh, proposition in terms of the right idea. Uh, E-commerce is going to be yeah. you know, a lot of online. I don't think this where we're locked in right now is going to end anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Although I see in some countries in Pakistan, yeah, still out <laughs> on the road, uh, but you have to be cautious. Yeah. So, uh, you have mentioned fintechs, so you have a lot of experience in that, and you also sit on the boards and uh, uh, you know a lot of associations into fintechs. I really want to ask that. Uh, uh, what is the future of fintech given that financial inclusion is still pretty much low uh, when you talk about in the when you talk about the global level and uh, uh, there are some countries who have some really rigid policies uh, like one of them is pakistan as well and uh, there there is also an issue of security and privacy so given all these things where do you see fintechs and what fintechs are doing right now and as you are based in dubai uh, i i have uh, uh, i have start listening from people that you know dubai is going to be a blockchain economy completely becoming a blockchain economy in next two years or five years so uh, how do you see that look first of all i think the future is going to be on technology mm-hmm. based on technology mm-hmm. uh, even the fact you know what i like to say is this medium that we're using right now. Yeah. I mean, how many people were comfortable with using a Zoom or uh, another uh, platform for ordering media? Yeah. They weren't. Mm-hmm. I mean, so suddenly every time everyone has become comfortable. I think going mm-hmm. forward, technology has to be leveraged, uh, and we'll see more and more of this happening. The one good thing is. I mean, I can say that of this, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, what, what we're going through right now is the fact that people have become very comfortable with technology. Yeah. Shopping, for all their meetings, for connecting their work. Yeah. I think going forward, we now have this ecosystem. Right? Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, the way we work is going to be based on using technology. So look, uh, so technology obviously is the future, and you spoke more specifically about fintechs. Uh, so, you know, getting funding and financing to businesses are there various ways of doing it. There's mm-hmm. a lot of uh, steps that banks go through mm-hmm. so that they can reach out and lend to businesses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The way it's been done does not allow inclusive finance financing, meaning mm-hmm. that you cannot go deep into the small, micro, medium enterprise sector. Mm-hmm. Of lack of data with these banks. Mm-hmm. That was the 
reason that banks excluded SMEs, right? Mm -hmm. Technology enabled financial institutions to reach out deeper into the market and SMEs. Although a lot of banks didn't do it because there were cultural reasons, not that the technologies are available. There is these historical reasons that banks have still not. Today also we have 1.7 billion people excluded, right? You know that. Mm -hmm. It used to be 2.5 billion, and you know, because of technology, every yes. year you're getting 300. Uh, then it was last last time it was 550 million. 1.7 or 1.5 billion people are still excluded. They also need to be included. Technology is the only way to do that. So there are different aspects of technology. One we started off with was remittances, you know, the payments. That, and that was because of the fact that you had a lot of these expat workers in different countries in the world. A lot of people from our part of the world. Right. So they work here and they send money back home. Included in the financial sector deeper, and also see how can we get funding across to smaller businesses within mm -hmm. the country, within you know on the continent. Mm -hmm. uh, and for that, we need to develop different types of uh, uh, of fintechs. So not just dispersing money, but assessing risk. For example, uh, being able to identify uh, individuals remotely because that's very important when you're uh, dealing with finances. And mm -hmm. Person, he says he is, or she says she is. That so uh, biometric face recognition, all that. So these technologies are evolving. Uh, you asked about blockchain. So obviously, I mean, blockchain is uh, an evolving technology. By the way, so yeah, it's not a technology which is applied in test cases so far, but it's not being applied commercially anywhere. Okay. It's not on a large scale. It is still developing. Uh, the beauty about blockchain is that it. Uh, minimizes the risks because you know there are a lot of points which put a check on whether the person who is we're talking about banking here so mm -hmm. is getting or let's say pay mm -hmm. is getting the goods is getting the funding is the person mm -hmm. he or she claims to be because it's being checked by multiple nodes mm -hmm. it's not you know one so that's that's what the blockchain is about it's still expensive right now uh, and you cannot have a wider it's not I mean, you can't reach out to a wider clientele at this stage in time. It's too expensive. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but it is, I think it is the technology of the future in terms of when we talk about banking using blockchain. Mm -hmm. uh, banking. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, look, technology is the future. It's, forget, uh, I mean, uh, FinTech, even e commerce right now. I mean, I'm sure you're sitting mm. in London right now and people in Pakistan are doing a lot of shopping online. Yeah. Has picked up, you know, so their sector which have picked up is a mm -hmm. up uh, of, of money, taxis, uh, mm -hmm. restaurants, and yeah. uh, This is a sector e commerce has picked up. Uh -huh. uh, a lot of uh, food delivery to, you know, uh, delivery of uh, ink yeah. for your printers. E commerce is going to pick up. Uh, anything to do with technology, actually, because technology enables efficiency. Mm -hmm. Technology enables you to assess a lot of uh, risks 
domain, mm-hmm. which you are not able to do manually. And you know, when you talk about mm-hmm. banking, that's basically why these big banks have not reached out because they are not able to assess this option of This will happen. I mean, now banks, a lot of them, I mean, even in Pakistan, even mm-hmm. in the uh, more, are using platforms to assess risk and be able to quickly deliver to small and medium enterprises. Mm-hmm. Yet, they're not there yet. I mean, again, like I said, uh, you know, these big packages which have been announced, uh, 80% has been dispersed in media. They don't have any clue of how they can assess the risk. Mm-hmm. And on the part of small businesses, I mean, a lot of small businesses don't have a banking relationship. Mm-hmm. So they're not even in the radar of the banks. The banks know this. And mm-hmm. it is, I think, the responsibility of those who are, um, are this, you know, these financial institutions are the drivers of economic growth. I mean, that's what I like mm-hmm. to call them. Mm-hmm. Because they are the ones who provide the funding, the financing, even today. Mm-hmm. You probably thought this year, you know, like Bill uh, Gates, I think, said five, six years ago that uh, banking is necessary, but banks are not. Mm-hmm. Banks are still necessary, but they have to reach and find it. Yeah. Uh, but they need to better assess this so that they can reach out to this still 1.7 million people who are unbanked. Mm-hmm. So these banks are yeah. fintechs. Mm-hmm. You know, since we're on the topic of fintechs, the other thing we need to also realize is that fintechs on their own, uh, and this is historical, I don't know if you remember, they used to be fintech one, so this is not that far, seven years ago, mm-hmm. and then we are now fintech two. So yeah. FinTech one, and that's when Bill Gates said that the banking is necessary. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was thought that these emerging FinTechs in 2015 and 16 mm-hmm. uh, will grow to a level that banks will become obsolete. Yeah. Uh, but apparently that didn't happen, and it didn't happen because of several reasons, two of which are the outreach of these platforms. Outreach, yeah. So these banks had uh, millions of clients, right? Mm-hmm. From, uh, mm-hmm. like Pakistan, if you look at HPL, 15,000 branches, yeah. UBL, 15,000 branches, and millions of clients. So they couldn't reach out to that number of clients, number one, so they, they didn't have that. Uh, and number two, the type of projects, they were, you know, mono products. So mm-hmm. they didn't, mm-hmm. they couldn't go and offer a working capital loan and a project finance loan and you know, a line of credit. So they just had mono product. So then came FinTech 2 where fintechs and banks work together. Uh, and yes. this also evolved from banks, because initially banks had their own development centers, mm-hmm. developing their own technologies, uh, while fintechs were developing on their own. So around 2017, uh, banks like BBVA, and, uh, uh, this bank out of Singapore, <laughs> BBS, BBS from Singapore, yeah. They had their own uh, developments. Yes, they have. They have started leveraging fintechs. Why waste creating an innovation there? So now fintech two is partnerships. So mm-hmm. a lot of these uh, fintechs are partnering with banks and giving them solutions. So you have a payment fintech partnering with a bank. You have a lending fintech partnering with a bank. Mm-hmm. You have a fintech which is good in doing KYC, know your customer. But you build your uh, Technology uh, work in a bank by partnering with fintech. So this has started happening right now. Yeah. Fintechs will be relevant, and the upside for fintechs is that they get the scale because the banks mm-hmm. have the clients. Mm-hmm. Now banks have not really stepped up as they should have in many jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Very few jurisdictions banks have stepped up in terms of 
across the board, they have systems in place where digitally they can onboard and serve and They do it in bits and pieces. And a lot of these bits and pieces are the front end, which is, you know, customer facing. So you can see a lot of apps. You probably see an app of a bank. And, you know, people have to go to my bank and have an app. You can log in and you log in. What can you do when you log in? Well, you can, you know, Ask for money with your own account, you can check your balance. But there's a lot of things you have to do because the yes, banks the banks are now partnering with fintechs to onboard clients, for example, yeah. to uh, assess the risk of lending to S, for example, like SE or SME, more than that, because of data. Hmm. Data platform. We now have uh, a platform, I mean, uh, with several fintechs can offer their services to a bank. You know, you've heard of the, you're in the UK right now, so open banking, you've heard of that BSD group, yes. uh, which allows banks to reach out to, you know, fintechs to mm. use their platform of banks mm. and uh, get banking services. Yeah. Uh, yeah. On open banking, actually. So yeah. Open banking platforms. So yeah. This probably yeah. will happen in Pakistan. It's not very really mm -hmm. So look, these things are evolving, but what I am saying is that, especially in this lockdown, this has expedited the process of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, of, of people, banks, mindsets mm -hmm. who were afraid of, you know, using e-meetings like mm -hmm. we're doing right now, or mm -hmm. using a fintech or using right. a flat bank. They still yeah. want. Now we've been catapulted into that era. Yeah. you have to bank online. You have to, you know, go and meet uh, with the bank mm -hmm. online. Right. This is evolving. So this is this we've been catapulted into into the digital era because of this. Mm -hmm. uh, the bright sides. I mean, there's not not many bright sides uh, <laughs> right. of the problem we're in right now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, these things will evolve, and specifically in Pakistan, I think you know uh, it is still evolving. I mean, I would not say that we have a bank today in Pakistan that is totally digital. Uh, maybe the front end is you can you know. Uh, send money or uh, check your balance using an yeah. app on your yeah. iPhone. Or but there are a lot of things you cannot do. You cannot open yeah. an account. You cannot. Uh, you might be a, a non-client of the bank, and then you want to be a client as a business. Mm -hmm. These type of things should be happening remotely as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean that. Uh, there are so many things happening, but there's so many things that are not happening. So yeah, uh, the policies have been very, very rigid. Uh, uh, the the newer policy uh, the, which the newer government has uh, uh, applied in Pakistan, it it has make uh, startups to you know to exchange money from other countries very hard. So now what uh, what other what peoples are doing, what small businesses are doing, that they have their own bank accounts in some other country so that they could have this international transaction done because it's getting very, very critical day by day in Pakistan. So yeah, true. There are so many things happening, but there are so many things that need to needed to be happen in terms of finance and technology specifically. Uh, I would move on to my second last question to you. And that, that is all about this pandemic thing that we're facing. Uh, we all know what is happening during this and we all have been talking about that, you know, how to poop it and how to poop it. But uh, the, the most stressful and worrying thing is the post-COVID-19. I mean, 
when everything goes back to normal or back to as our old days and now countries are moving in for example uk is slightly opening and easing up the lockdown and everything what do you see what the future has to offer post covid 19 uh, given the fact that a lot of people have lost their jobs, uh, students like uh, like me who are studying right now this year are very much confused and they do not know what to do in their career because they do not see any future right now. So, what do you suggest? What is your what is your advice on that? What are your views on that? Look, it's a, a difficult question to answer. Yeah, I think the answer yeah. is no one really knows. Yeah, this is really unprecedented. Was not yeah. we've been through crisis, we've been through financial crisis, we've been through crisis in the crisis of climate change. Mm. This is not a country or a region specific, it's global. It's global, yeah. It's a crisis which no one even has a handle on, it is evolving. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, my own judgment on this, my take on this, is that it's going to be a long, longer fall than most people would like it to be, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And it's for the simple reason that uh, things are not disappearing. I mean, like a lot of these lockdowns, like you mentioned, are uh, being eased. But they're being eased because of pressure. It's not yeah. being eased because it's safer to go in. Yeah. Uh, one of the best countries, uh, actually, which did the best measurement is where I'm sitting right now. Mm -hmm. uh, they locked down completely when they talk a few months ago. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the right thing to do because, you know, this can spread um, anytime from anyone, yeah. not from anyone, just from the air. Yeah. No one really knew at first. They said, if you touch something, <laughs> yeah. eat something, it's an evolving thing. So it's, mm. you know, it's better to be cautious. Even here, they have eased up. And mm -hmm. the easing up is because of economic reasons and perhaps also because of pressures from, you know, I mean, we're, a lot of us, not a lot of us, a very small percentage of us, yeah. don't really feel this lockdown as the way as a majority of them. Yes, but, majority. So of them, true. We have perhaps bigger homes to be in. Some of us even have a garden <laughs> to walk on. Right. And billions of people around the world who are cooped up, and you see them being on TV yeah. in one bedroom, two bedrooms, mm -hmm. and talk about social distancing. Mm -hmm. No social distancing. Yes. Right. So a lot of this ease has come up, even in Dubai, where I am, and many countries are looking at because of these pressures. Pakistan, I don't know, I mean, it was never really that much locked down, yeah. which is I see. Mm -hmm. It's uh, done something good, uh, God is kind. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's not really like, galloping like it was in my country. But this is going to be a long haul in terms of our social distancing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, being uh, 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 and lucky, luckily that we have the money, so you, know, you don't really feel it because you can uh, order food, you can order supplies, uh, you can actually have a, uh, a watch a ballet, watch a theater if you want to watch, you know, yeah. a live ballet right now, you can tour yeah. the world on your, uh, uh, your laptop. Uh, so, so my going forward, look, I think best thing would have been if we've learned sessions. Mm -hmm. uh, globalization, of course, let's talk about that also. I mean, how do you see this back? Everyone is now inverted. So this big thing about globalization, unfortunately, I don't think yeah. it's actually a 
a lot of it is going to be fear that mm -hmm. I'm not going to import uh, sugar from Pakistan anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, get uh, wheat from Pakistan because mm -hmm. inverted means, which is a problem also because most single country get uh, on on economics uh, uh, of being able to have another country sugar production or the wheat production. Mm -hmm. on, whatever. I mean, it's mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all these supply chains are going to be very difficult to control. Mm -hmm. um, and in the US, <laughs> the first time you see it, right? Like, yeah. In their own corner. Yeah. A lot of countries, uh, travel is restricted. So, a lot of these restrictions in the growth have to come from within. How yeah. that can be managed, so that's going to be a big change. Mm -hmm. I think because of uh, Social distancing and the fact that we're not able to travel for a long time. Also, airlines are also opening. This again, I can tell you, is opening because of economic reasons. Not so, so mm -hmm. Other people are taking it. Flights coming out from Pakistan, just out of the world, from the US, and these are just risky. But a lot of this uh, will go online. People need to be. That's why I say we've been catapulted into this era, which was taking us a long time to right. get into this digital era, you know, online era. People were shy, people were reluctant, people were scared. Mm -hmm. uh, but everyone has been catapulted into it, and a lot of people have discovered you know, it. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I mean, uh, I should mention that also when I go into boardrooms. You know, we've done a lot of work. I mean, this is a little side. Uh, I just noticed my white hair, so I'm talking <laughs> <laughs> about it. I've been into boardrooms, you know, as part of my work when I yeah, it's part of your working with uh, these hard banks, digitalization, and you know, these boards, a uh, lot of people are not, uh, they don't get it, you know, and you get this resistance, yeah, but you know, our bank, and this is not just Pakistan, I talk about, I work. Of all the countries of the world, uh, mm -hmm. our bank has been in operation. You know, I don't think we need to change at this. Frankly, you know, we aren't able to do it. You know, sitting on the board. So I now, at least for the last two years, maybe even three, my question to the board is: I said, okay, how old are you? And inevitably, at least in the last three years, I'm the oldest person in that boardroom. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I turned sixty about three years ago, and was. <laughs> Even when the board levels are senior, <laughs> I say I'm the oldest person. Hmm. I'm telling you, you should leverage technology. Yeah. Uh, so not the question of age at all. It's a question of an understanding. And yeah. You need to get out of the field. My next question actually is how many of you in the board are using an iPhone or a Samsung? Everyone. <laughs> Why are you saying your technology, your editors? Yeah. using. One of the highest technologies. Yes. Uh, and you're probably all so it's yes, I know all of these have been catapulted mm -hmm. because of this into that age. All these guys who are in that boardroom are now sitting behind a, a Zoom conference at home and talking to what did they never use? Yeah. Know, countries like India, Indonesia, Morocco, Yemen, uh, Saudi, where you know where mm -hmm. I worked or Uzbekistan and mm -hmm. Estonia. People mm -hmm. are now using this for meeting those very people who said the technology and how do they get this banking services and sitting from that? They have to use yeah. it. 
Right. This has that's been the good part of it. Um, but yet, you know, because we've not included everyone, or because of the fact that these banks are now responsible for dispersing a lot of these billions and billions of dollars of packages to SMEs, we're not reaching out to everyone because they didn't yeah, build that capacity. Yeah, no. mm. uh, but then now they've started leveraging. So I think you've mm. read the US actors have reached out to uh, Revolut and you know, uh, other platforms uh, uh, for them to. For the banks to leverage to reach out to the SME. Yeah. We should do similar things in this part of the world also. Hmm. So, yeah, so you're just coming back to your question. So, look, it's very difficult. I think for a long time, mm -hmm. we will be working from home, at least a vast majority of us. Yeah. Using media like the one we're using right now. Mm -hmm. We will be comfortable in how we use this. Uh, I think the rebuilding of economies mm. uh, will be slowly and steady. But even right now, I mean, a lot of economies, this curve is still not flattened, right? Mm -hmm. And flattening a curve is, doesn't also need much. I mean, it just sounds good, it's flattened. <laughs> yeah. It shouldn't remain flattened for a long time, which you see for it is. Long time, yeah. So it should be starting to go down. And then again, there will be a lot of uh, individual, people will have a lot of caution that we will not really go out and not travel, we don't really need to travel. And how that how does that affect airlines? How does that affect you know uh, the whole tourism uh, industry is at the at the edge right now. So uh, already I think the cruise ship industry has just said that we are not going to be in operational for some 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 years. I guess due to that. Yeah. So you know, whole tourism industry is fully uh, I think it's compromised, and there are so many jobs being provided in the tourism industry. So yeah, it's a, it is a very critical moment. Uh, so the, I'll just uh, close this interview with this last question, and this question is uh, close to my heart because uh, I usually work in gender studies a lot. So I work in um, you know gender empowerment and opportunities towards gender and whatever the gender discriminations. You have been working in development sector, specifically in the finance part of it, for so many years. Uh, what have you seen uh, in terms of women and financial inclusion? Because women are very, very far behind than men in terms of financial inclusion. And there is some uh, particular specific discrimination against women when it comes to investment and loans and um, other, other activities. What is your take on it? What have you experienced in your entire career? And you know, if there could be a change, what could what change could be bring? And are things have changed in this present scenario, or they are still continuing like that? Okay, good question. Uh, it's good because it's a subject that is close to my heart. By the mm -hmm. way, I don't know if you are able to assess that. Uh, <laughs> I've worked a lot in this area. And yeah. as part of being a global, a global development mm -hmm. bank, also, this mm -hmm. is a very crucial area for uh, an institution like the World Bank mm -hmm. in. Because, mm -hmm. as you rightly said, and it's not only in developing countries, but even in uh, developing countries. Developed countries is the same, yeah. Nation, uh, in all areas, but since you're talking about financial inclusion and uh, banking and finance services, even in this area, we are discriminated against in terms of. Uh, Type of financing and funding that is available mm -hmm. to women. We work a lot in that area, and I specifically have been involved in building capabilities or capacities within financial institutions. 
within the systems themselves and within the people. Mm. How do you address or relate or understand the need of a female client mm. as against a male? These are very different. I mean, I can go into detail, but you know, yes. probably you need another program for that. We've yeah. done it across the board. And mm -hmm. the program we call women in bank, women banking on women, actually, is what we call mm -hmm. it. Uh, and now there are platforms, I think, globally, where HPL is now a member of that platform, where you know, mm -hmm. like a lot of other platforms for SMEs and stuff like that, you can uh, join and understand what is happening in this part of the world. A very right. good example of where we work uh, in Lebanon is a bank called DSC. Uh, it's a smaller bank than HBS, uh, but they've yeah. implemented a uh, woman calling the success. Mm -hmm. So I say HBS yeah. for that. So yeah, I mean, this is an important part of our uh, um, resources. Mm -hmm. We need to be empowered. Uh, and the way, one of the ways to empower anyone is that they have a banking relationship. So, you know, if they need to start a business, if they need to have a credit, they have uh, financial institutions that need to make a credible tax record for that and trying to start for that is now. Yeah, right. Thank you so much, Kesar, for giving us this uh, important time of yours. This discussion has been really insightful and very informative. I, I hope our listener would love and adore your, uh, your comments and your views, which are very, very comprehensive. Uh, I hope you enjoy this interview as well. Thanks a lot. I think, uh, thank you for the opportunity, first of all. <laughs> but I think these messages need to resonate, frankly. Yeah. I think this platform that you are now offering uh, is uh, exactly for this purpose. Mm -hmm. And uh, I hope it makes a difference. Thanks a lot for, yeah. uh, you know, thinking me worthy of contributing to yeah. this platform. And uh, do let me know what impact it has had. I would really <laughs> love to hear that. Sure, sure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care.